Hey, what's going on, guys? I hope you're all having a great day. Um, we're going to go live now. We're going to do a, um, a guest appearance here on the Endeavor Life channel. I've got Harvey Lawton going to be joining us in a minute, and we're going to be talking about injury prevention, running, getting into fitness, things that you can do in lockdown, all things to help you have a better time in fitness and basically living your best life in lockdown. Harvey is a super knowledgeable bloke. He runs a company called The Movement Blueprint, and um, it's very much specializing in movement patterns, injury prevention, um, movement correction, technique work. Honestly, this guy is going to knowledge bombs for you, okay? Um, so we're just going to wait for him to come on, and uh, we're going to get started. Um, in- yeah, you're there. So team, if you've got questions, then get them in and um, we will go through them at the end of today's live, okay? Here he is, the oh, man. <laughs> hey, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Very good. Good to see you. Good, mate. Mate, yeah, it's great to see you as well. Um, Should we give the team a little bit of perspective, a little bit of background about who you are and how we know each other? Yes. Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, we we met through rugby, didn't we? A while back, a long time ago. Um, We kind of followed the same journey, um, played a lot of rugby together, uh, both in the fitness industry. yeah, well, I mean, then we, used to, then we used to live together, didn't we? We used to then live together. Yeah, then, we, then we lived together for two years. Two years. Yeah, I'm actually stood where your bed my used to be. <laughs> in my house. I'm not worried. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so Harvey and I, um, we live together. We're very good friends. We both run fitness-based companies here in London. Uh, you run the Movement Blueprint, Harvey. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, the Movement Blueprint uh, is a online training platform. Um, it's based around kind of corrective exercise meets performance, and it's basically there to give um, an insight of what I've been through personally through a fitness journey. Um, had my fair share of knocks uh, with injuries uh, from rugby, like yourself, Dave. And it's just really a path to get people um, back in confident, moving well, and uh, pain-free as well. So yeah, that's it's yeah, yeah similar similar vibe, really. Yeah, man, definitely. I mean, I think like a pain-free, pain-free is a great ethos to have because so many people do struggle with pain, and actually, like you know, there's going to be a lot of people that are trying to start their fitness journey that um you know maybe don't have that much knowledge don't have that much information and so that's kind of the point of this live you know kind of the point of all of these lives is to share our knowledge with the people that are watching and um you know help empower them to follow a fitness journey themselves because we know how beneficial it is so harvey let's get let's just jump straight in right so you're you're very well educated, very well experienced. You used to work at one of the top um, help gyms. I suppose it's called a gym in London, third oh, space. Very yeah. well respected before you started your own company. Um, right, beginners. What do you think is like the top three tips that you would give someone who's kind of just starting their fitness journey? Like what's the three most important things they should consider? 
Um, right at the beginning, I think the, the the best thing to kind of implement is movement. Um, and movement could be as much as kind of uh, daily activity. So moving, yet yeah, dancing, whatever it may be. But just to get yourselves in and amongst kind of activities, chores, moving around, you know, lifting things before you even think about how many reps and how many sets you've got to do with one thing. Just think movement uh, is just medicine for the body. I know we, we can like train uh, patterns and you know, the more varied the movements, the better they are. So I, the first one would be movement. Um, second one would be don't run before you can walk, as it were. So, I mean, start gradually. Start with something that's realistic. Don't, um, you know, put yourself in a position whereby your initial kind of route into fitness is uh, stressful or it's for a certain thing. Really take your time into it and, and learn to enjoy it because, you know, that way we get, we can adhere into a, you know, a, a system, like a, an, an approach into, into our fitness journey. And um, three is just find that enjoyment factor, uh, whatever it may be. If you've uh, played sports um, as a kid or you've been playing sports or in and around team sports, then, you know, the, a really good option for you might be to start with, you know, some, some team-based sports before you go and dive into a, um, a head in a training program in the gym. So just, just find a route into fitness that is going to benefit you um, and do it sensibly um, and progressively. Good advice. And if, the if, first I, if, thing I do, if I do go on a tangent, just let, let me know. <laughs> Drag me That's back. all right, mate. I love a tangent. We're <laughs> going to go down a few rabbit holes today, and that is absolutely fine. Um, <laughs> I'll find a way to, to pull you back up to the surface. No drums, bro. Um, like one of the first things that you touched on was movement. You just said movement, right? And, you know, it's a bit of a, like... I just guess it's not a term that many people really associate with fitness. They think fitness is hit, fitness is weights, fitness is yoga. But what do you mean by movement? Does that just mean literally like going for a walk? Movement, yeah, absolutely. You can express movement how you like. I think uh, movement from a uh, practitioner standpoint is kind of how each individual joint moves and collectively then we can kind of dissect how the body moves. But movement is really as simple as the ability for you to you know, run upstairs, the ability for you to carry something, you know, anything. So the more varied and the more um, kind of more opportunity you give for your body to move, the better. So that that's what I mean by movement. And then we can express movement in whatever we enjoy. It could be running, it could be cycling, it could be, it could be training. So for a lot of people, it's not necessarily the best thing to try and jump into a a deep fitness program and go really, really hard on that. But actually maybe the first step is how can I just become more active generally in my life? Like, is it a case of walking to work or going for a walk at lunch? Or is it a case of going for a cycle at the weekends? Like, is, is that what you're talking about? Bringing these general activities into life? Yes. Uh, like it depends where we are on the scale in terms of what we're used to. And um, from then we can really kind of, you know, go, go, go knee deep into it. But I mean, as a start point, we're very much, um, our tendency is to just cram everything in. Our tendency is to miss kind of the foundations and jump straight to the desired goal, um, which, which may be joining a gym and going in and, and, and working on your bench press max when, you know, 
that's that's an, maybe an egotistical thing that we all want a big bench press but there are so many more important things before that that we could develop on you know we might not have a max bench press at the end of it but we'll have a well-rounded and uh you know a, a better kind of like start into fitness and training so do you think that there's currently like a bit of a flaw in how fitness is portrayed then? Do you, like, do you think that the way we kind of think, okay, so fitness has just got to be high intensity, it's got to be go, 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 it's got to be like slogging yourself in the gym. Do you think that there's a bit of a flaw in, in the way that fitness is done? Yeah, I think um, massively. I think I think also there's a flaw with how new, uh, how sorry, how fitness is perceived as well. So fitness can be perceived by some people uh, to sweat, um, and that could be with an intention of burning calories. That could be for a completely different reason. But fitness, to kind of me, and something I try and instill in all the people I work with. Um, even down to kind of the the mentorships that I run, it's very much, you know, fitness is, is a privilege and we can work on our fitness however we want. We can work on our fitness through, you know, as, as varied amount of life, as much as we can, basically. Okay, so like the, like the hit classes that generally people kind of like, the general approach that I see from a lot of people that are busy, is that they will, you know, you've got the other things going on in your life. You've got the kind of the work, you've got the kids, you've got the family, you've got socializing, you've got all these stresses pulling you in different directions. And especially in London, the, uh, the it's kind of like fitness is like this quick thing. You kind mm. of get in, get yourself, get done, get out. And actually like, is that just a bit too short term? Are we like with these kind of like high intensity hit classes, that are about burning loads of calories, but do you think that's a bit of a short-term approach rather than thinking, how can this benefit me for the long run? Yeah, I mean, there are kind of ways and uh, ways you can go about things. I think um, the convenience factor has hit the fitness industry quite a lot. Like people are looking for, you know, maximum gain from minimal minimal input. Um, and, you know, if you break it down, it's kind of the opposite effect. Um, so we're, we're really looking to like for a successful fitness journey is is for it to be just that you know successful um have longevity uh train for health and then performance but often these these hit workouts are clouded with you know shove 20 minutes of um sweat blasting stuff into your post or mid-morning like routine and and lose five kilos so it's very much sell a dream uh, with minimal input, and people buy into either the advertising of it or the, you know, the the way it's the way in which it's perceived, or the way in which it's um, delivered. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, not getting, not taking anything away from those hit classes like the gyms, the boutique gyms here in London. They they make a very good atmosphere. You know, you've got pumping music, you've got lights, you've got people shouting, you've got like all the energy and and like people bouncing around off each other. Go, you're gonna go over there, you're gonna go over there. Yeah, Come yeah. back here, we're gonna do all of this. Da da da. And it is hype and it is excitement. Um, but I suppose like thinking a little bit more long term is bit more beneficial for people and what what do you think is something that will help people to get the longevity out of their fitness journey by i mean that's that, like what you just mentioned is really important like there's um 
so many uh, fantastic like gyms and facilities doing great things with kind of hit training or even you know 45 minute express classes which managed to pack in a whole load of punch and quality um but i think when it when it kind of gets kind of divulged into like the short sharp stuff um that's when it all gets a bit messed up sorry what was your question i was going off on that <laughs> it was about what what do you think is one of the best ways we can actually create longevity ah. in our fitness journey yeah so i mean by all means go to the uh the fun pumping music stuff but kind of replace it a lot or complement it with kind of you know foundational work like mobility training stretching um strength work as well is absolutely key you know we expect to be able to go and do 20 mountain climbers and 30 burpees and for our knees and lower back to be absolutely fine. But there are a certain amount of prerequisites we have to really have if we want to maintain that, you know, five hit classes a week probably will after a while get you into a position where you're more broken than built. But we really want to kind of establish that, give the, give the person, give the uh, consumer what they want versus what they need. So kind of break up, you know, strength and mobility, which is in my eyes kind of the foundation, the bottom of the pyramid, and then drip feed, high intensity, uh, fun vibes, massively. It's so important for that fun factor to help with that kind of like longevity approach as well. But think, think about building the body um, before kind of pounding the body. So if what I'm getting from that is that actually what we need to be thinking about is a variation, like a variety of things, like just doing one thing for most people isn't really that beneficial. Like unless you are an elite athlete and you need to be able to perform at your sport and your sport is a very specific thing, you don't really need to be that um, one dimensional with your training. Like if you just do hit, then you're going to get good at doing maybe um, jumping squats and jump lunges and body weight movements and things like that. But um, you're going to miss out on the strength development and the stability around those joints. You're going to miss out about on the control of your joints going through different ranges of motion because you never train that. You're going to miss out on potentially that all round core work because all you do is sit ups. Like yeah. the thing we and the, the, these are thing these are things we all kind of take for granted. Um, you know our, our expectation of the body's ability to deal with um, a. a a, a treadmill class um, and then deal with you know a 20 minute uh, video on YouTube that you watch that's just high intensity stuff so uh, just a kind of smart smart application of these things because I'm all for the enjoyment factor and as uh, big man Harry who I actually was working with at third space has just commented um, have an intention that's always really important as well in terms of a goal and kind of that's going to help your route through to start with anyway that actually is a really great little um, transition onto my next question, which was going to be around most people say they want to get fit. Most people want to say they want to lose weight. They want to get fit. They want to be healthy. They're like very three broad generalized statements. And I think that because when people kind of start their fitness journey, they're thinking broad and general they don't really know exactly what it is that they want to do you can kind of get led down the idea of well if i want to lose weight then i'll find the class which burns the most calories and is the most high intensity therefore i'll lose weight and actually for most people what's what i've noticed is that 
once you get past that initial thought process of I want to lose weight, you start then realizing actually it's not necessarily you just want to lose weight. It's that you want to not be pain in pain. You want to be strong enough to go through life and support yourself and have like a, uh, a body which is capable. And the, the goal actually isn't I want to lose weight. The goal is I want to be there for my children. I want to be able to do all the things in life which I've always wanted to do when I was younger. Because most people, like when you're young, you're fit and you can basically do what you want, but you don't have much money because you're, yeah. because you're <laughs> only starting off your journey. And then you kind of get a job and you work really hard through the job. And then you get like late 20s, maybe you've got a little bit of money. Then you oh, hit yeah. your 30s, a little bit more money, and then your 40s. But then by the time you get to your 40s, you've not done anything physical. And so you've lost the energy you had when you were 20, gained the money. <laughs> life completely gets in the way of function you know as um as growing up as a kind of uh child toddler into adolescence we're we're blessed with like mechanical free reign we can you know if you if you watch a toddler sit in a deep squat there's there's no issues there if you if you let that toddler through adolescence be subject to sports be subject to track and field athletics as much as they can get their hands stuck into you know like there's a certain like work and like life gets in the way of our bodies you know we, we weren't meant to sit down for eight hours a day or i mean that's probably quite generous for some people but like do you know what i mean we weren't we weren't meant to be put in these compromised positions over and over and over again it's very much a or what we ought to be doing and what we need to do but that kind of often comes back to bite us when there is that, as you just say, that kind of area of um, less movement or, you know, um, restriction through our body. And then, right, now we get to the stage where we can kind of like go back into training, go back into wanting to get fitter. And it's often what you just said, it's like you start into a fitness journey and it's like we start with a goal that maybe to lose weight. But then the second skin gets taken back and it's like, oh, now I want to think about my strength. Oh, cool. Now I want to think about why I don't want to have back pain or how I'm going to treat my back pain with strength training, you know, and it's not just repeat appointments to physios who, you know, or, or practitioners who like provide soft tissue work and then get you back in three times a week. It's very much, you know, it's a practical application of your goal. So you need to address it practically. Do you think that there's a, um, a culture of thinking that physios will fix whatever it is that's going on and just make you better and take that pain away. And you yeah. just basically lie on the physio table and they massage you and they move you around and they do a bit of this and they do a bit of that. And then you get maybe like a few pins and needles in, in, in your back <laughs> or whatever. And then you get up and you're like, oh, okay, awesome. I'm done. I'm going to go back to doing exactly what I've always done. I mean, I was um, I was lucky enough to work at like two clinics, one on Harley Street and one in Moorgate, with both some fantastic physios, and it was very much a an environment whereby there would be people who were used to repeat going to physios, so they would come back to go to physios, and they would go back on their bike or go back running or train for their half marathon and then all of a sudden they'll be back to see so this kind of corrective exercise and rehab space didn't really exist so like my personal goal was to try and fill that and think like there is a middle ground along with so many other guys thinking there's a middle ground where we can educate these people that it's not just about going to get 
um, more ultrasound. It's much more about, right, let's, let's load the tissues. Let's make sure we can kind of have that practical application to getting you better and not getting you back on the physio bed. Yeah, I think there's, there's you know, with, with the kind of history of fitness, we had the bodybuilding influence initially. That's what kind of drew people in. And then it's kind of gone into this functional CrossFit type fitness stuff as well. And But then on the other side, you had physio. And it was either like you were fine or you dealt with injuries and niggles and stuff, but you just kind of kept going. Or yeah, you were yeah. really fucked and then you went to see a physio and they kind of got you back to being sort of pain-free but not actually addressing the underlying problem which caused you to have the injury in the first place. So what you're suggesting is that as a a corrective exercise specialist, that you work with people to try and deal with the underlying like movement problem and rehabilitate the movement issue um, because it's often it's imbalances, isn't it? It's like one side's tighter than the other. It could be one um, the antagonist is pulling more than the agonist or yeah. like the movement pattern isn't quite there because you've got a restriction through the joint on one side which doesn't allow it to be balanced and it, and it all stems back to weakness you know it all stems back to how how the tissue acts under load if you're weak you're going to get injured so don't be weak <laughs> you know so give, give you give give your body the opportunity to load all the joints load all the movements load all the patterns load them well load them competently then you can kind of throw variety of that uh, that kind of bubble and then then you have the right to go to you know three hit classes a week on one with all your mates yeah you know what the um what i think is something really important for people to understand about fitness is that it all comes down to force Right. So it's, it's, it's like strength training is basically just how much force can your muscles develop. And if you're doing like a, a jumping lunge, then you've got to think like what force is going through the muscle, going through the tendon, going through the ligaments. And your body can, it can take a certain amount of force and it can take a certain amount of force repeatedly over a period of time. And if you are smart, then your body will adapt to that force and it will get stronger and it will be able to take more and more and more force. And that's basically progressive overload and that's how people adapt to get stronger and fitter. But if you do lots and lots of force in bad direction of movement repeatedly that the body can't take, that's when we basically get injuries throughout time, right? Yeah, well, it comes back to kind of, um, as we spoke about training age, you know, if if you're subject to a uh, good amount of movement and stimulus from a young age and you continue it through uh, university, whatever you may be doing, you continue to load the body, you continue to move the body well, then you have a very good training age. So it's more than likely that your prerequisites are probably already there. If not, they can be built or developed really easy. Um, However, it's that scale where you said people start off um, like a hero in their teens and then because life gets in the way there's that there's that element of stop and then we start off again with the expectation that we used to do this used to do that but that training age is seriously decreased because you've had five years out so it's, all, it's yeah. almost being like let, let's be smart with our training journey and let's really kind of uh, you know the goal maybe or the intent maybe for this uh, this person that they want to get to uh 40 and still be able to move pain-free do what they want and challenge their body 
Yeah, no, spot on, man. And um, someone's actually kind of commented um, based on what we've been saying, and I kind of want to address this. So Sahil said, since the lockdown um, used to go for hit of about 25 minutes, a couple of sets daily, but it's now dieting my strategy. So basically, we've just talked about hit and how maybe it's not the best solution. But uh, Sahil is thinking, oh, no, well, this is what I have been doing in lockdown. Yeah. Am I doing it wrong? And I think that what we need to address straight away, and actually I was going to ask you about this, like the lockdown effect. We can't train optimally at the moment, but what's better than optimal is what you can actually do. So in my opinion, correct me if I'm wrong, Harvey, but for Sahil, training and doing HIIT a couple of times a week is actually better than doing nothing. And if that's what's available to him, like you said at the start, movement, of any kind is better than doing no movement. What are your yeah. thoughts on this? Yeah, I completely agree. Um, the lockdown, um, both from uh, the clients uh, I train, or it, it's been a huge effect and hu- taken a huge toll on so many people. And and the uh, rise of hit training, um, the accessibility to get hit training or low equipment workouts over social media or whatever whatever platform it may be, has gone through the roof. There, there are ways you can take this and there are smart approaches where if you have less load, we can still, we can still apply the prerequisites or the uh, same adaptation strength will give with less load. So if we had no equipment, for instance, and we were wanting to elicit a strength training protocol, we could do, you know, isometric movements. So we could hold positions in, you know, like a split squat position. We could hold that for 30 seconds on each leg. We're still getting adaptation from the muscle. And then we can, you know, build in around that. So you can be smart with your body weight training. It doesn't have to be hit to work and you can still get stronger with no load. Yeah, so a lot of people have been doing HIIT and I think that's because it's a very popular way of training. A HIIT is effectively high-intensity training and when you're... Um, when you haven't got any load, often high intensity becomes fast paced. And we just think that's the kind of default that we should go to. But like you're saying, slowing things down actually is very, very challenging. And if you've that's ever it. done... There's, there's almost like a hybrid approach you can take. So um, I've programmed a number um, of body weight only workouts that follow like a systemic system from a start and a warm up where you can do your body weight mobility movement flows and then you can have a strength piece. So you can have a no load strength piece of, you know, uh, slower tempo squats, um, you know, single leg variations of hinges and knee dominant movements, so lunges, and you can just slow it down to cause more stress for the muscle. Then we can go through like an accessory protocol whereby you can do your side planks, single leg hip thrusts, um, Whatever, whatever it may be, shoulder, uh, shoulder-specific movements to help with your kind of posture or injury rehab, and then we, there is a space for high intensity. There is a space for impact because, you know, the body learns from impact. The body gets stronger from impact. So there is always a space. But it's this: if you could apply this hybrid model of start with mobility, um, and then work through a strength protocol and finish with, you know. A, a relative high intensity uh, six to eight minutes of, of work, then that overall adaptation would be fantastic. And then you preach longevity because you can go from doing four hit classes a week to doing, you know, three to five strength or three, three to five sessions following that protocol and you won't be burnt. 
Yeah, and actually somebody asked a question, um, awesomely Maria asked, is it more beneficial to do one 45-minute workout or three high-intensity 15-minute workouts throughout the day? But I think you've just answered that question because it is more advantageous to do a slightly longer workout, 45 minutes, for example, incorporating mobility, incorporating flexibility, incorporating strength and some high-intensity cardio or conditioning work and that way you're training this variety of movements and types of movement that your body's going to be able to adapt to. And that's how we should be um, structuring workouts in order to create this longevity and support and strength within the body. Um, you know, a lot of the workouts that people might see on Instagram are just that high intensity bit. You might get the kind of, here's a great 20 minute workout thinking that, that's what workouts are. They're just a 20-minute block where you go from doing nothing to doing like jump squats, jump lunges, hammer release push-ups, yeah, sweat cells. Yeah, sweat cells. Sweat cells. It's sexy and it's short and it's it's easy to kind of tell people what's going on. But yeah. really, a pro a workout should have an effective warm-up. It should prepare the body and take it from a non-exercising state up to that higher intensity state through a range of motion, preparing the muscles and the joints that are going to be used so that they're prepared and ready to do the high intensity stuff so that we're not kind of shocking the body um, and not allowing it to, to fully get ready for that high intensity workout. Like a workout isn't 20 minutes. Okay. That might be, it's kind of, the terminology these days is <laughs> is being changed around because actually like when you hear 20 minute wad or 20 minute workout yeah that's a part of an actual session yeah you know like that's not the entire session yeah and the more the more stimulus the, the, or the more variation over a 45 minute workout the the more value that person has the more value that the body has to that movement if we could if we could uh, put in eight movements over 45 minutes okay versus six bodyweight movements on repeat okay you, you get far more value from those eight movements with three to four sets of each over that 45 minute window than you would those hip workouts hmm, definitely mate now another thing that a lot of people have been getting stuck into during lockdown is something that's super accessible almost anybody can do it it's free it's simple you could do it even when there's no gyms and it gets you out of the house running running has been the savior for a lot of people i know myself i used it to clear my head i used it to get out of the office i used it to just put my headphones in listen to Joe Rogan talk about something on his podcast, look out the world, <laughs> go for a run around Clapham Common. Yeah. I loved it. Um, but there are some inherent problems if you go from not running at all to running multiple times a week. What are the, some of the issues that you've been seeing people have that have gone from a sedentary lifestyle or a non-running lifestyle into this higher volume of running? So it comes back to the kind of prerequisite set for running. You know, running, um, you could imagine it as single leg hopping for 20 minutes. Um, so there's, there's a, at the ankle, at the knee, at the hip, through the whole body, through the whole system, there's got to be a certain amount of strength and able to deal with that force, you know, to like, to absorb the force to then create it. When there are issues of, you know, where we haven't run a lot before and then we go suddenly out through a half hour run, there's bound to be something goes wrong because you know, running is like you know, three to five times body weight through each leg, for instance. 
So with that, like there's bound to be things that go wrong. So I've seen a lot of kind of knee pain, um, some lower backs from that running posture because people are going to kind of, you know, jump straight to 45 to 60 minute runs, which is fantastic. Like people, like it's so good to see people out running and it's been, you know, I've been, I've been running quite a lot and it's fantastic for the head, fantastic for the mind. Um, and obviously there's huge cardiovascular benefits as well, but like there are certain ways to do it in terms of your progression. Yeah. So progression, this is something that we talked about earlier. And when you're, um, when you're going to get the most out of your training, you kind of need to be doing this progressive overload. Now progressive overload is basically where you're kind of steadily pushing your body to do a little bit more and a little bit more over an extended period of time. And, um, your body then gets used to it. And so what was once impossible, you get comfortable doing because you steadily built that conditioning up with running. I think that, because it's not particularly it's not like super hard you don't go for like a most people don't go for a a kind of gentle jog at a very steady comfortable pace come back and they're like absolutely done but their joints might be really struggling to deal with that additional force because like you said you're looking at three to five times body weight impact force and this brings back to what i was saying earlier about forces when you run like you said you're, you're you're basically single leg hopping and so you know, if I'm stood here completely stationary, I've got one times body weight. I've just got my body weight going through the floor. But if I jump up and then come down, I've got the momentum of my body weight hitting into the floor. And obviously it's not just once body weight because you've got to times it by the speed at which you're moving at. So the impact force is higher than that vertical impact yeah. force. Yeah. And, then, and then you've got, you know, you, when you run, you don't pay attention to where you're going. You have curbs, you have hills, you have potholes, you have everything. So there are a whole host of, you know, potential hazards for your ankles, knees, hips. And that's and it's that overuse or that overexertion um, too much in too short a time is often, often catches people out. But you can progressively overload running, um, be it through time domains with um, you know the right amount of recovery between each run um, so you can start with a 15 minute then next one 20 minute and you can press progressively overload it like that or you can do it intensity or you can measure it how you please but as, as long as it's not leaving you spent and as long as there's sufficient recovery uh, between each I've just seen a question actually about how should I start a running routine so if if you are uh, starting with, say, I'll say twice a week um, with the intent to maybe run three times a week, it may be best for you to start with a 20-minute kind of um, easy run, so easy pace, maybe a conversational pace as one run, and then you can look to with your second or third run is to either increase the duration or increase the intensity. So we get the effect both cardiovascularly and mechanically of a, an easy run and we recover. And then we also have the opportunity to explore this, you know, higher intensity um, or, or longer duration. How would you, like if you're kind of new to this running, how would you think is the best way to know if you've recovered before going on your next run? So I've, I've uh, a lot of clients, my clients, uh, especially in the ones I train online, you know, as soon as the lockdown came in place, I, we had to start programming alternative cardiovascular like like modalities, as it were. So running was a running was a 
like a big one. It was top of the list. Um, and there were sore calves, sore lower back, knee sore, you know, muscle soreness around kind of the bottom of the calf into the soleus and down into the Achilles because it's that shock of impact over time where the foot is just not used to that. And the, you know, the foot's the driving force. Of the, it's like the tire on the car. So if your foot's not working properly, then all the muscles around it go mad. And then if you're sore, that's going to equate to less performance and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, in terms of, I'd say, a sauna scale um, and just how you feel in terms of fatigue, etc. So sauna scale, we're talking about DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness generally um, is, is the kind of terminology we use. And that's basically how sore your muscles feel. So would you say that um, like on a scale of one to 10, if 10 is literally like, you touch the muscle and you think you're going to die. Yeah. What sort of number on that scale would you think is adequately recovered before you start your next run? Uh, I think a three to five. I think it's, you're relatively expected to, especially if you're running two to three times a week, you know, you're, you're, you're after a, hopefully a, a relatively good warm up and some, some kind of stretches and mobility training, mobility protocols before you run. Um, you should kind of like ease into it. It might be, you know, five minutes and then you kind of into your stride, but, um, don't run on something that's pain, painful. Um, and, uh, if you're sore rest. I think that's good advice overall. Generally when we've got like niggles and stuff, we want to be training pain-free. We generally don't want to be training through injuries. We don't want to be training through pain. Um, awesomely, Maria's just asked, what should one do in the case of running into an aggressive dog whilst out for a walk? I think we call that interval training. That's what that's called. That's interval training. <laughs> so you're out for a nice little job. John, you see the dog go for a quick sprint. You get your ass out of there. Leave the dog in the dust. And once you're around the corner, you can start walking again and catch your breath. We call them intervals. Yeah. If you ever need a stimulus of how to run a little bit quicker, dogs. German shepherds especially. <laughs> oh, dude, that's that is great, man. Um, so, like, a lot of people, like we kind of talked a little bit about earlier, will get into their fitness when they're, like, kind of late 30s. You know, when, they, when they've worked really hard, they have been really focused on climbing that career ladder, building a career, getting a family, all of those kind of things. And they're maybe a little bit out of sync with where they thought they were when they were younger um what do you think are some of the considerations that people in that kind of late 30s early 40s demographic need to have before they start training again um so it's very much you know uh start back at the bottom uh, be a be a beginner you know uh, work on your mobility things that may have gone slightly or been put on a slight back uh backpedal over the last five to six years in terms of how your hips function how your spine functions can your pelvis move independently do your shoulders can you you know go overhead properly with your shoulders then we kind of can build a program around that you know it's it's much uh much smarter with now you're a bit older the intent isn't the same in terms of you know let's go hammer a session and fit it into a routine hopefully it's more along the lines of now i've got the opportunity to invest in my body now i've got the opportunity to understand the kind of the ways in which i can get stronger for longer and that is down to kind of the, the premise and the foundation of joint function and leading into kind of a um, a solid training regime, which involves that training skeleton we spoke about. So, you know, the, the mobility, the strength, 
the accessory components or the components which will best serve your body. I.e., if you've got really tight shoulders or really weak shoulders, your accessory component could be movements targeted at your shoulder or thoracic spine to increase that kind of realm of you know availability you have there and then we can fit into that uh, energy system development and uh, higher intensity stuff at the end so stay calm and invest in the process there's a lot of good content out there there is actually uh, you've got plenty on your pages plenty on the movement blueprint as well you guys can definitely check that out um what I what I kind of think is like when you're younger, you know, you kind of you come out like you said earlier. Actually, like you see babies squatting with perfect form, you see them moving around really freely. You see kids hanging off the playground. You see like kids running around. They can run forever. Um, they can, you know, you get on your bike and kids will just cycle forever and ever and ever, and they don't ever seem to get tired. Everything's fine. And then you know, as time goes by and you've done things, your body takes knocks and it takes little niggles here and it, ad- it adapts here and your body's constantly trying to adapt to the thing that you do to it and it will um compensate by doing things differently to how is optimal as we go through life and so you know kind of what you just said then is that when you're younger you can get away with doing generic stuff you can get away with doing kind of you know, whatever little random workouts you want because your body's fresh and it's young and it's not had to deal with these adaptations. It's not had to deal with these compensations over time that have accrued. Whereas when you're a little bit older, actually you need to be a little bit more prescriptive and a little bit more focused and maybe work with a coach that can give you this plan that's going to help work with things. You know, like just for example, if you're an office worker and you've been sat over a desk and instead of having a posture like this, which is upright, your posture is like this and therefore you can't push anything overhead because this is the end range that you've got with your shoulder. Whereas actually to be able to kind of come into this more extended position is where we want to be. Is that what yeah, you, I think, you think? Yeah, definitely. I think the, the body's a problem solving mechanism. So wherever we are in our training history, the body will find a, a way to shortcut you know so we give it the best opportunity we can to you know have sufficient um shoulder flexion have sufficient um extension through our thoracic spine so we can press overhead so we can bench press comfortably so we can squat but if we if we go and do these things that we've uh, seen on social media or in a hit workout of numerous jump squats or an overloaded back squat, then the body's the body will find a shortcut, and it will either the spine, the knees, the ankles, or something will compensate, as it were, and you'll get found out. So it's very much as you kind of just said, you know, like address the fundamentals and and, and build in from there. But the the biggest misconception is that that's been really kind of like overcomplicated. Yeah, you know, it, it is as simple as getting the joints to move actively and well individually, and then it kind of paints the picture for our body's opportunities to to move. Dude, tell me the difference between flexibility and mobility. 
Okay, so flexibility is uh, relatively passive, so it's, it's kind of a passive range, um, i.e. there's no external load uh, through the muscle. So, for instance, some yoga poses uh, could be passive, like a pigeon pose or whatever it may be. So these are, these are movements where no mechanical tension is kind of is, is, is there. Um, however, mobility is the um, ability to work under load and move actively. So we strive for better mobility. Okay, flexibility is also required, but it, it, it kind of uh, sets us as a prerequisite to mobility. You know, if we have flexibility through the joint, it may not be a stable joint. The joint can move, you know, the hamstring can lengthen perfectly, but if it's, you know, it's going to be weak in that position. So we're looking to kind of build our mobility as close to our optimal range as possible. So flexibility, no load, mobility, um, accessible and accessible load and uh, mechanical tension. Okay, so as an example, um, would let's say let's take the hamstring as an example for this, right? So flexibility would just be stand and then bend over and see how long your hamstrings are, how much anterior um, pelvic okay. tilt that you can create. Yeah, yeah. Anterior. Okay. And uh, which way? So when your hips, are we, we, yeah, where, so hip where's the leg forward. going? Where's the leg going from the hip? Oh, so sorry, from a standing position. Yeah. <laughs> but if you just bent over from a standing position. Okay, so we're, uh, we're, we're asking need... the hamstring to, to, to lengthen under, under relatively yes. low load. Okay, perfect. So, exactly. Um, so yeah. That would be kind of a flexibility test effectively because you're not really putting much load for it. You're just dangling, right? Whereas if you're going to stand and lift your, your, your right leg up as high as you yeah. could, that would be your, your hip flexor trying to raise that leg. And it might be that you've got a flexibility issue through the hamstring, but it might be that you actually don't have enough mobility through that joint to support the, the leg through that range. Yeah. So if we, th if we think passive as, as little load as possible. So if you were lying on your back and uh, I had you in a, on a uh, physio bed and I lifted, uh, passively lifted you into a straight leg raise, so I lifted your right leg up. So you're at 90 degrees of the hip. That is your passive range. However, if we then go into kind of loaded movements, um, a Jefferson curl, a deadlift, that movement will be dictated to by your mobility and strength of the hamstring. Got you. Good clarity because I find that in on social media, especially the word flexibility and mobility kind of get mushed together and there's not really a disconnect between what the two things are. Yeah, there are some there are some great resources now. I think it was it, it used to be a thing with uh, a long long time ago with the uh, yoga sphere, and then it's been developed into two kind of separate entities. And often, you know, people who study mobility training and uh, strength training uh, don't just don't agree with some yoga flexibility gurus. That there's a there's a gap that needs bridging. However, we are under the illusion that you know the people we see. Uh, who are incredibly flexible, uh, often contortionists, they have amazing flexibility. They also have fantastic mobility within those ranges. You know, you don't get to, you don't get to wrap your leg behind your head if you've not got the accessible kind of strength in there as well. It's, you know, that's fantastic flexibility, but we strive, when, especially when we're training and when we're moving with load, we strive for greater mobility. 
Yes, absolutely, mate. Um, we've had a quick question come in saying, do you think flexibility also has a lot to do with the mind? Like, how much do you think it's it's neural? Oh, uh, we could dive down that rubber hole. Um, I mean, hey, <laughs> don't go too deep. Yeah, yeah. Don't go too deep down the rubber hole. Let's try and keep this a little bit surface level. Um, I mean, yes. Um, yes and no. I think, um, like, if we're looking at passive testing of a muscle, it has a... It, it has a passive range. It has a um, it has an end range, and often when we're passively testing, we can feel that end range. Um, uh, neurally, however, it's more maybe under under load where it's kind of a difference. Um, so I think maybe the answer to that is um, yes, but no. <laughs> Wonderfully confusing and explaining at the same time. Thank you very much, um, All right, team. So now it's an opportunity for you guys to ask us some questions. If you've got anything that you want to know, then please get them in. And we're going to be spending like the next kind of five minutes answering your questions. So fire them in nice and quick, and we're going to get them um, answered for you. Harvey, uh, just whilst everyone's getting those questions in, how are you doing in lockdown, my man? How is life? Man, uh, yeah, um, very good. Um, all is all is well. Uh, fortunate to have a, a bit of a facility at home and a, a wonderful uh, business to work on. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm jealous of your, of your gym setup. Like, you know, I know exactly where Harvey is right now. He's sat in his gym outside of his house. He's got barbells. He's got Ergs. He's got all of the stuff. And I am jealous now because I'm stood here with my, with my one barbell and a couple of plates in my spare bedroom in my house. Um, oh, Harvey, this is actually a great question for you. Um, something we've not actually discussed yet on today's um, episode, but how do you make the first steps into implementing nasal breathing with cardio? Um, so when, when we talk about nasal breathing, when we start to dive down that, it's very much um, you do it for the intent of working that system. So nasal breathing uh, helps kind of downregulate things, calm things down. So when you're doing it with cardio, Start off very easy. We call it gear one or gear two. So nasal inhale and nasal exhale, but lower the intensity until it is tolerable. Nasal breathing at higher intensities takes a long time to acclimatize, a long time to calibrate too. So if you're trying to or starting to implement nasal breathing, fantastic. You should be nasal breathing all day and all night. Um, However, it comes, it comes like when you integrate it into training, uh, start very easy, start with kind of um, maybe longer duration cardio segments of five minute blocks. Um, and then you can kind of translate into cyclical movement patterns where you can start to uh, time your breath with the demands of the movement. So squats, um, press ups, and then you can kind of like dive in from there. But cardiovascularly, expect a lower intensity and um, don't be a hero. Nasal breathing, it sounds right. Okay, so nasal breathing, it's just breathing through your nose, right? So Correct. when you're doing cardio, it would just be a case of keeping your mouth shut and, and breathing through your nose, making sure your nose is clear. Give it a little blow before you start. Just get. <laughs> 
get them get them airways ready to go. Um, but it's effectively just breathing through your nose. It's a quite accessible thing you can do. Correct. What is has, the point? Yeah, Why so, it has, so it has so many uh, benefits, especially in the, you know, like most of our adaptation is created outside of our training, outside of our gym time, outside of everything. So it's our daily habits. Nasal breathing can help regulate your kind of nervous system. It can help like we live in a world where everything is such high stress, high panic, and we're always driven. We're almost always in our sympathetic state. So our nervous system is kind of up and we are constantly looking at the next thing to do or worrying about the next thing. Nasal breathing has fantastic transfer to down-regulating you from a sympathetic state, which is up here manic, to a parasympathetic state, which is shown to kind of increase um, all sorts of all sorts of health benefits in terms, uh, including lower stress, anxiety, increased um, nitric oxide and uh, carbon dioxide in the in in the body, which which can integrate into a better life, a quality of life. Basically, if we can stay more chilled and be less stressed, our body can return to a state of homeostasis more readily. So, what you're saying is just chill, Winston. Yeah, breathe, breathe through your nose every time, all, all day, all day. I um, I thought that everyone did that. Like, I think no. I naturally breathe through my nose, and so I just like when I started hearing about nasal breathing, I was like, "What? Why is this a thing? Does everyone yeah, not yeah. just do it anyway?" It turns out actually, lots of people breathe through their mouth. Yeah, there. Um, there's a great book. Uh, there's some fantastic guys out there um, who are doing it, doing a fantastic thing in terms of. Um, dysfunctional breathing. So mouth breathing, mouth breathing inhibits the sympathetic nervous system. So we we can we can spend all day on this, but essentially um, we want to get more oxygen to our kind of lower lungs and diaphragm, or actually work our diaphragm, so we breathe functionally. Dysfunctional breathing is mouth breath, which inhibits kind of shallow breathing, or you know high chest breathing so we want to get quality air down into the base of our lungs with um with nasal breathing if we're talking to just like the average joe the person that's kind of getting into their training and stuff like that this isn't something that really they should be like overly concerning themselves with right like is it as big a fish to fry this is maybe something that you do once you're more capable with other things uh yes and no i think it could be a, a valuable asset to implement along the way um especially as it will help down regulate that intensity um so maybe to start with it like you think that maybe before doing it with training they should be focusing on just like breathing through their nose when they're sat on the sofa and like getting yeah, yeah, used yeah. to that 100 uh, they should read oxygen advantage and listen to some podcasts around that before they do anything cool all right sounds good um we will do one more question it's going to be the last question and it's actually from the same guy thomas barton um he's asked <laughs> he said what's your opinion on training for purely aerobic capacity and hypertrophy in the same day as a double session um well it depends if you're accustomed to it, it depends if you're used to it, it depends if you've uh got the tolerance the the ability to recover um and you know we talk about aerobic capacity but if we train our aerobic threshold it's often an aerobic state we have to be in so often that's not too taxing to a system um but it depends what kind of uh 
segment of like capacity we're talking about, be it anaerobic threshold, which is obviously, you know, intensity through the roof going bonkers. Um, and that probably, probably inhibits us to, you know, do, be a bit smarter around those sessions. So just as long as you're um, managing it well and you're recovering between each so you can get the best out of each session, uh, then you're doing it well. But double sessions, I mean, I do double sessions because I have the time and uh, I I measure my training around it. So, you know, I if I'm doing a like a heavy lift, I'll, I'll do a, a short threshold session during or after it. So I'm fully spiked up to that. And I'll probably do one session a day. But if I'm doing a, a full body session and a maybe a zone two to zone three aerobic base session i'll split up with two sessions because it's not that taxing and for some people it can be seen as a bit of a, a recovery reset as well yeah i think that the, the most important thing I, I take from that is that it really is a dependency on what you're used to doing what you are capable of doing but as far as like my thoughts are like you know you can train strength and cardio very closely to each other and get great physiological adaptations from that it's not necessarily the thought process now that you have to do one or the other we can still do both of these uh types of training and actually yeah. crossfit's been a fantastic way for us to to see yeah. that in action that you can be fantastic aerobic capacity and you can have great hypertrophy gains as well yeah um, it comes down to that mixed modality back to that skeleton we spoke about mixed modality protocols are fantastic for that fitting it into a 45 minute window where you want to, you know, lift and sweat and train. Yeah. Um, okay. We're going to start wrapping these up. But one last quick question, just because I want to get this one in. Uh, so he'll ask, do you still need to give yourself rest days? Even if you're only working your core 25 minutes every day, and I'm going to jump in and say, Sahil, if you're working your core every single day, perhaps you're not using your training time as effectively as possible um think about maybe broadening your training style a little bit the core is like any other muscle group we don't need to be hammering it every single day like effective training would be adequate stimulus and then adequate recovery what are your thoughts lawton yeah um i mean training your core is uh you know you train your core when you do an overhead press um, so if you, if by training your core, you mean, um, crunches, side planks, um, there are much, or, or that sort of movement that isolated, like spinal flexion or whatever it may be. Um, there are much ways of doing that. You can still train your core every day in the sense that, you know, you can lift, lift weight. Okay. That'll work your core. You can train unilaterally. So single arm, single leg, and in rotation, which again is going to train your core. Um, so as you said, uh, Dave, it's very much, um, broaden your training, uh, style maybe, and that may help and probably you'll get some, uh, peripheral adaptations along the way. Awesome. 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 All right, Lawton, let's wrap things up there. This has been very informative. You've dropped some absolute knowledge bombs and I hope you guys have all enjoyed listening. You can check Harvey out on Instagram at Harvey Lawton PT and also at the movement blueprint. Lawton, any final words? Thank you for having me. Um, uh, I miss you, man. <laughs> <laughs> I miss you, bro. I'll um, see you very, very soon. Thank you very much, guys. You're welcome, team. Thank you so much. 
Peace, love, have a great day. We'll see you soon. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.